0: The weekly pseudo-active roundtable table pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav. And I am once again here with my co-hosts, Hannah and Monica. How's it going, guys?
1: Pretty good. Pretty
2: good. I do have a question for everyone that is not related to our show. Okay. Well, today, I mean, it is because it's pop culture. <laughs> is anyone else being relentlessly bullied by ads for a show called? Dear Edward that looks very sad on Apple Plus, or is it just not I?
0: I don't think I've seen a Dear Edward commercial, but I don't watch Apple Plus a lot. I watch it when someone tells me, hey, there's something good on Apple TV Plus you should catch it. What's weird
2: is that I'm not watching Apple Plus, Plus. I'm watching Peacock and and Mm. I'm watching Parks and Rec and the tone is, you know, very positive And it's just like every commercial, here's some sad mood pop music Mm -hmm. and here's a show about a kid who survived a plane crash, but everyone else died.
0: Yeah, I have seen the poster. I just Googled it. I recognized the kid. I I recognized the poster with two women and a little boy and I have not seen anything other than this poster. I did not know about it. So so apparently the algorithm loves you, Hannah.
2: (laughs) I don't know what I've done.
0: You've brought a downer show, I think, to, you know, what was supposed to be a happy, silly episode. Returning to a concept that I invented last year, I think. I don't know. At some point, I came up with That's this idea. September, for September, I think. Okay. But well, it was called Is This a Bad Movie? And we watched a couple of them. We've done one for Under the Cherry Moon. We did a Rocky Horror Picture Show. I don't remember. We might have done another one. We did Jennifer's Body. Jennifer's Body. Yes. Oh, yeah. And they were sort of these are movies that have not the best Rotten Tomato score, not the best critical opinions or public opinions. Movies where people say that they're bad, but that one of us has a particular delight for and wants to argue for. And Hannah, it's your turn.
2: Yes the Princess Diaries 2. Just in time for yeah. Valentine's Day, though that was no purpose.
0: Not the first Princess Diaries movie, mind you, I mean, but the second
2: one. Yeah, I will argue somewhat for the first Princess Diaries movie, although like at some point we need to talk about the makeover scene in Princess Diaries 1 because it mm-hmm. makes me madder than it did when I originally saw it. Like, you rewatched them for this episode and
0: as did I. As about the scene was- where it's like w- women with curly hair are atrocious. You're a hideous beef if you have curly hair. Yeah.
2: yeah. And <laughs> as someone who has- had curly hair in 2000, I guess we'll just do it now. As someone who had curly hair in 2001 and to this day has curly hair.
0: I was like in 2001 uh, and 2023, and, and, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, but like I, I grew up in a household where no one knew how to take care of curly hair. My grandmother was always like, why aren't you brushing your hair? And I'm like, well, brushing, it, it gets like it's frizzy and worse. And, you know, Reddit, like our curly hair was not a thing. So <laughs> I was kind of like on my own and like genuinely the reactions I got in real life we the same as this movie where it's like your curly hair is bad. Ugly, straighten it. So I straightened it for years, like pretty much until my senior year of college. Which I still didn't like, super know how to take care of my hair. But like instinctually, I like had figured out, don't brush it. And then like I went to graduate school and figured out how to take care of my hair. And figured out that there are people who are literally trained to cut your hair. And so
0: you mean you're saying you learned about salons, is what you mean?
2: Yeah. Well, I went to salon, but I learned like curly hair. Yeah. Some stylists aren't trained to cut curly hair. They're really like Mm -hmm.
0: yeah,
2: yeah. So I learned about like. Curly hair specific products. How to take care of certain different types of curly hair. So, so you know, I feel like this movie was a missed opportunity because. It could have been like, here's your curly hair is beautiful. Here's how you should take care of it. Could have learned from it and not read it like 20 years later. But no, it was just what? like, oh, let's treat it. Yeah. So so and I'm also sure. you know, yeah. So <laughs> so that's my like, re- like the thing I really dislike about the Princess Diaries franchise. That's out of the way. But mm-hmm. yes, I'm arguing for the Princess Diaries too. I'm arguing both on a this was a fun movie. Like my parents took me and my sister to go see it when it came out in 2004. We were in a theater full of people. Everybody, like, was laughing and having a good time. I'm arguing for it on the level of th- this movie has a very talented cast. Chris Pine, Julie Andrews, Anne Hathaway, Alizondo, Elizondo, who are having a good time. There are interesting themes in this movie, I would argue. Also, interestingly, the script was written by Shonda Rhimes who you might mm-hmm. know from Grey's Anatomy or Bridgerton, and argue that what you see in The Princess Diaries 2, you can draw a line from that to Bridgerton. And also, I would even say that this movie is sort of like a precursor, and like a maybe a, a more big budget version of some of the movies we find super fun in the Netflix Christmas special every year. But critics do far, not agree like, with
0: me. Yes, um, and we'll get into it, but I believe you brought a guest in, just you've probably yeah, yes. forgotten about it.
2: <laughs> no, I have not, but I wanted to introduce my guest that way, by saying okay. critics do not agree with me. I also want to talk a bit, I know, I want to talk specifically about some of the things critics said about this movie. They gave it, this movie has a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I want to Mm take issue with how critics reviewed this movie to some degree, because there there are things to critique. I mean, I just, Mm -hmm. you know, ranted about one of the scripting choices in the first movie. But here are some excerpts that just irritate me. The Princess Diaries 2 Royal Engagement is unapologetically aimed toward young girls making this review virtually if you are a pre girl with a five-year-old intellect, this is a smash hit. If you're not, bring it <laughs> Hold on. Being neither 12 years old nor endowed with X chromosomes, all that held my attention was wondering what in the holy underwear Paul Williams was doing up there. And so, <laughs> and so like, there. I, so I, I am, oh yes. caters to the worst treats in the target ions of spoiled third grade girls. So like, I also like want to talk about when we talk about this film, how we critique films that are not for, mm-hmm. quote unquote, For us. For uh,
3: us. I mean,
0: does it, does, for thirty to fifty year old men is what you're saying. Like, I
2: will say that I will say that some women also wrote like mm-hmm. things that I would call internalized misogyny about this film, and so I wanted to bring on a guest who might be more a fan of Princess Diaries two than me, and does mm-hmm. not fit the demographic of a teen girl. Say hello, oh, wait, Josh.
0: <laughs> Josh, was, the twelve year old girl, Josh. Welcome back, Josh.
2: <laughs> the absolutely not twelve year old girl.
4: I am delighted to be here.
2: <laughs> i don't I mean wow. that serious when i say i think that he likes princess diaries two more than i do
1: are we going to talk okay. about the books Because i would love to talk bit, about maybe. the book
0: have you read the books i've not I read, the books, read the books
1: i have read all of the books how many are there like 10 i have to try.
0: oh wow but yeah it's a okay. pretty
1: big
2: series second one okay. is not related to the books at all but yeah josh is back Same. and has not read the books Same. but he's read machiavelli which relates to the princess diaries too <laughs>
0: I'm not kidding. It, it, so for listeners who have not heard you in a while, Josh, who are you? Because you actually technically are often here. Just no one would know. You are sometimes in the background of a recording.
4: <laughs> yeah. So I'm Hannah's partner and I'm an attorney who has the, run, the running joke was when Hannah was in grad school, I was reading all her books on bacteria and stuff. And was told I probably should be earning a degree for my trouble. So I went to law school. But I, I have occasionally been on the show, like talk about pop culture and things. And Hannah trots me out whenever she needs somebody outside of academia to talk about whatever she wants to talk about that week.
2: You are an expert on Genovia. Apparently,
4: yes. I did read the Wikipedia history of Genovia. very
2: real country genovia
4: i have my very dog i have my very dog-eared copy of machiavelli's the prince here in front of me Um, yeah we'll get to that we'll get to that soon Mm -hmm. i think we're starting with the books
0: well i I guess we'll start with i mean the concept of is this a bad movie and i'm pretty sure i know where hannah's gonna fall but hannah is this a bad movie
4: (laughs) no
2: i can make the case in several different ways which does it bring joy to people yes it does this is not like, I was so surprised by the Rotten Tomatoes school, but score because of like how beloved this film is for some people. And it's been almost 20 years since it came out and people are still asking for a third one. Mm-hmm. So so there's that. It brings joy to what even is like a bad movie? Like also mm-hmm. like people is it like a certain kind of critic doesn't think it plays by the rules of what a good movie should be? I'd say that this is a really good example of the kind of young woman royal like female focused genre fit. like I, you know, I don't think that something like Twilight's a bad movie because it does the bad movie, does the best it can. With the material and like the (laughs) genre, I am the
1: biggest proponent of us doing a is. Twilight, a bad movie episode. I know that I already got to pick one with Jennifer's body, but the listeners <laughs> have known me long enough to know what my tastes are, including <laughs> all ten Fast and Furious movies. So I'm gonna also say Twilight is a cinematic masterpiece, and I would like to circle back and revisit that <laughs> at a later time. Josh may feel there?
2: differently, but we had a great time watching Twilight again. So like, so like, like it, it fits the conventions of the genre. It and it asks interesting questions and there is some like there is talent on screen is everything like oh, yes yeah you know, like, there's talent on screen there is like enjoyment by the people who made this film there there is some artistry in this film this is not christmas at the drive-in Mav. like it's not hmm. soulless okay. churned out nonsense
0: i will agree there i have a counter to that but i'll get well, i'll do it when i get mine just want to get through the rest of the room though i mean so monica you're also on team not a bad movie i assume
1: So here's I'm on team just because this movie isn't for me doesn't make it a bad movie, right? I Mm -hmm. with will own that I absolutely adore the first Princess Diaries movie. Like it is one of my favorite childhood movies. It is such a comfort movie for me. I would watch it over and over again. I Mm -hmm. would not have rewatched Princess Diaries: The Royal Engagement. Hannah not suggested that we do this episode. I do not hold the same on this. I feel like dialogue is perhaps written for what feels like a younger audience than the first film, which is a little strange mm-hmm. to me, because you would think that a sequel should age with the fans of the original. However, I'm also going to agree with Hannah that like, this is this a really good movie if I was five? And that's okay. Like it is okay mm-hmm. to make movies that are like appropriate and fun for children. Like children do deserve movies that are quality entertainment, whether or not they make do- jokes for the adults that happen to bring them to that movie. And that is perfectly okay. And with all of that said, this is still a really good movie within that genre. So I think that's maybe as objective as I can be about all of this was that like I didn't necessarily enjoy my watching experience of Princess Diaries royal engagement, but that doesn't make it a bad movie.
0: I am. I'll save Josh for last because we go positive again. I am very much in Monica's camp, but with the caveat that I didn't grow up watching these, I've seen Prince's Diaries one once before, and then I rewatched it, you know, this weekend. And then I've seen Prince's Diaries two only this time. I've only ever watched it for this show. And I thought it frankly paled in comparison to the first one. I thought the first one was far better. Did I hate it? No, I thought it was mediocre. And I share the sentiment that it seems to me, it felt less smart and less, I don't know, Less smart, that's not the right word. It felt less grown up than the first one, which was weird because she's 15 in the first one and she's 21 in the second one. And I think I thought you were doing something more intellectually stimulating and not, I don't mean for me as a 40 something year old man. I mean, I just, I enjoyed the process of the first film a lot more than I enjoyed the process of the second film because I agree with Hannah. This is not, you know, a Christmas at the drive-in kind of movie. This is a Christmas Prince. It's a Christmas Prince from Netflix. And there's a reason why why if you go and listen to our Christmas special episodes, I like the Christmas Switch movies more than I like the Christmas Prince movies because I feel like the Christmas Switch movies are smarter and more there's more for me to be invested in. Does it mean it's horrible? No. I mean, I, it, part of me, when we go back to those to the Under the Cherry Moon episode where I did the Is This a Bad Movie on that, one of the big criticisms in all the like all the reviews who complained about Under the Cherry Moon was, well, this isn't like Purple Rain. At all? And the answer is no, it is not. It's a different movie. It's trying to do something entirely different. The difference is all the characters in Under the Cherry Moon are different characters than actors are playing different people than they were in Purple Rain. Whereas in this, they're auspiciously playing the same characters, but I didn't feel like the through line was there. And I felt confused by it. And I felt annoyed by people for choices they were making in a way that I didn't feel annoyed by them previously. So, so. I didn't like it as much, but I don't think it invalidates anything Hannah said i so that's where I'm at with that and Josh, do you think it's a bad movie?
4: It is a guilty pleasure movie for me. I absolutely like enjoy both of the movies. I would agree with some of you that the first movie I think is probably the better movie mm-hmm. has the probably the better script. The second one, I just enjoy some of the more adult, like political stuff that's going on in it. you know i I uh, think the plot is like Matt has said was a, a little it's not as it's not as like interesting as the first movie. It's kind of a marriage plot, but
2: where is it?
4: Or is it, you know, Hannah has some thoughts about that. But I'm still a sucker for a good cast. You know, I'm one that like, we'll go see a movie just for the cast. And I think there's a lot of, there are a lot of fun actors in both of those movies. Even some of the weirder like cameos. like Stanley. Stanley. Who's (laughs) the composer that's in the second movie? He's just like one of the ministers.
2: The the composer who also worked on like the Muppet Christmas Carol is like in the second
4: movie. Yeah. so There are a bunch of of inexplicable characters in the second movie. You're wondering why they're there. It's just because there's it's just cameos from Paul people Williams. that are friends of the director. Yeah, Paul Williams. Paul Williams. And mm-hmm. I just enjoy that kind of thing. It's fun. It's a bunch of casts having a good time. And as long as the script is, is tolerable, like I enjoy that kind of thing. This
2: is not just my luck or the year. Mm-hmm. Like there there is, I will say actually, the one thing this movie does better than the first movie is, and I suppose like some of you might say, well, that's why the movie is weaker in general because the focus is more on romance the second movie. The romance in the first movie is deeply unset. That is fine if you pay attention Ooh, to five,
0: entirely. There. You're talking about the okay, I guess I'll date your brother, yeah. That's yeah, it's weird.
2: Yeah. The annoying thing about because we watched the first one, the annoying thing about that is like she has this crush on Josh Bryant in the first movie, the you know, the blonde surfer high school dude. For those of you who are not familiar with the Princess Diaries, are there people not familiar with the Princess Diaries? Yeah, mm-hmm. they are, sure. but like she has this crush on this, you know, you know, jerk in high school, and then like Michael, a quiet guy who happens to be your best friend Lily's brother, has a huge crush on her and she doesn't pay attention to him until she hurts his feelings And then at the end of the movie, she kisses him and he's like, but why me? And she says, because you saw me when I was invisible. And it's funny because it feels like that's sort of a moment of not birth for her. Because I mean, yes, she's going for someone who will be nice to her and not mostly a bully who is using her to get fame. But like her like big moment in the first movie is I've been really selfish. I need to start thinking about other people. And she then proceeds to be like, I get with you now because you see me this is good for me and I think the second movie does have I'm not saying like other movies don't do it in a more interesting complex way but like the second movie does like explore like what a mature relationship looks like or why you should have a relationship with a person like why should you get married and by the way I'm not gonna name the website or do a direct quote but in two thousand four, my parents and I went to a church, and the church would like consult a certain website about what movies should you go see, and it would break them down by content. And oh, the yes. church you, you, the, uh, and the,
0: are you talking about the website that does reviews from a what movies you should see as a good Christian and avoid as a good, it, good Christian? Is there, is it?
2: there is, I'm sure there are more than one, but yes, it's one of those websites. I've so, been to okay. one. and this website yeah, and this website <laughs> gave Princess Diaries two a negative review, which my parents definitely ignored to there because it was like, (laughs) this movie is about feminism and how you don't need a man. And it's just (laughs) terrible. And, you know, honestly, as like, much as you can explore in a two hour, like Princess Diaries 2, you know, sometimes there's someone audience who needs to hear that you don't have to get married straight away or because society is telling you to or so you can because you think you need to do so to be successful and also it's okay to have a career and also date someone like sometimes you just need to hear that and so you
0: know ruler of the country that you were Born into by I, though,
2: yeah. I also realize that yes, I am arguing monarch. <laughs> it's heavily monarchy <laughs> <actual> <laughs> in politics in life. Yeah. Uh, yes, but like in a fun, it, it honestly, kind of in a funny way. I think that kind of undermines.
4: It's like Machiavelli, which we'll talk about.
2: I, I actually, I actually think that some of the idiosyncrasies of this movie are what make it so fun. Can anyone tell me like what a Nigerian accent is like? Mm, can anyone explain to me why they're holding parliament in the palace and also there's a chapel with a secret underground like tunnel to the parliament (sighs) so someone can just like spy?
4: It is a beautiful Byzantine (laughs) chapel, Hannah. It's a different art style than you're accustomed to. Even though it is apparently a a Roman
0: Catholic country, as
4: I've looked up on the Wikipedia page.
0: Oh, is it
3: okay? I mean,
0: the the wedding is the wedding has those. Oh God, there was so much. Here's my big problem with it. My big problem with it is the first Princess Diaries came out in August of 2001. In July of 2001, Legally Blonde came out. So they wouldn't have known about it when they were filming Princess Diaries. And then Legally Blonde 2 came out in 2003 in July. And then this movie came out in August of 2004. So basically in the time between making the two Princess Diaries movies, they got to see two Legally Blonde movies. And I feel like there was an edict of, hey, let's do some of that. And they got confused as to what movie they were making a sequel of. Because I feel like there was an attempt to adopt some L Woodsness but only on a very surface level. And that whenever I felt like Anne Hathaway was being too much Elle Woods in st- instead of Princess Mia, I got annoyed with the movie because not that I, because actually, by the way, I actually like both Legally Blonde movies. The first one more. Like, you actually. I the seen Legally Blonde, It's not as good, but I, it's Help. fine. But I, so I like both of those and those movies are more popular than that. So I get that, right? I felt like this movie forgot that Mia is not Elle. And just every time she was being a little too much like the character from the other movie, I got annoyed with her and I was just like, no, do your own thing. You don't need to be quite so silly. Like the win of Elle Woods is that, you know, she appears to be superficial and silly and simple, but she's actually really smart. And that's not who Mia is. Mia's character, at least from the beginning and even from this one, is, oh, well, you know, she's kind of clumsy and she's kind of a nerd, but not really. It's more just expectations. And I felt like so much of that was lost in the second movie to where I I wasn't sure who she was sometimes and why I should be rooting for her. And again, does it make it? It's hard to say it's bad. Like, I I agree with Hannah that the reviews were overly harsh and sexist. I don't think it's 20 something percent bad. I don't think it's for me. It was just fairly mediocre. And that's mostly just because I thought the first one was pretty magical. Again, the first one's not targeted at me either, but I thought the first one was doing some really smart things that I enjoyed more.
1: Well, I will say that a uh, second one maybe does feel more in line with the books than the first one. <laughs> which was something that I was like, if we are talking like tonal consistency, the books itself never intended to cast Julie Andrews as the grandmother. Mm-hmm. In the books, the grandmother sounds a lot more like my Italian grandmother from Long Island than mm-hmm. <laughs> the regal <laughs> Julie Andrews, Queen of Genovia. Mm-hmm. Her eyebrows are tattooed on. That is, that totally is a shining characteristic in which that is everything that you need to know about the Queen of Genovia is that she has a lot of money that doesn't necessarily translate to class. And the books themselves read almost satirical at They are significantly Mm -hmm. more interested in also perpetuating stereotypes in which we think about playing playing princess, right? Like, they're they're so much more interested in this idea of having a sweet 16 and dating and all of these, like, very saccharine sort of of coming-of-age ideas of what femininity is. And the really nice thing about the first film is that it really pushes back on all of those things in ways that you wouldn't expect, I feel like, for that. Because if we are putting this within conversation with Legally Blonde, right, our ideas of what third wave feminism is Mm -hmm. and the ways that you can be an independent woman and still pretty, right? (laughs) And there was something that's kind of lost when you make your entire second film a marriage plot even if the end of the movie is still to be yeah. like, you can date and have a career. But the fact that we are choosing to centralize it entirely around a romance rather than the idea of a woman running a country is is one in which you are kind of losing a bit of the message just inherently, right? Which is something that I'm interested to hear Hannah, you and Josh talk about because you did bring up that the second one is still more political than the first one And yet, somehow, because it's a marriage plot, it doesn't always feel that way. I will also say
2: that, like, the first. Something I do like about the first movie is like the romance really of the first movie is between Lily and Mia. Like I yeah. I actually like love how like I'll both remember. of them are yes, both of them are a little terrible in a very like a realistic teen girl way. And okay. you know, Mia ditches her true friends to try and chase popularity. Cause I mean I mean that's like what you try and do when you're a teen to some degree, because you want everyone to like you. And Lily is a you know 15, 16 year old girl. Who wants to change the world and like, is, you know awesome, wanting to like, support and like she the environment? Gets completely
0: nerfed by the second movie. And she, she does, like,
2: and she yeah. and like in the first movie, she like is jealous of Mia and so, and so it's them like working out like things. Like I really love that and the like, relationships with her mother and her grandmother in the first movie. Although the female fr- friendship stuff is not lost. In the
0: So yeah, but given that I felt like the second movie really does Lily a disservice. I so Heather Matarazzo who plays Lily in the movie. I like her a lot. And she's had a very, you know, a very big career. Welcome to the Dollhouse is what she's known for. She's been in a bunch of other stuff. And then she's in this, in in Princess Diary 1, I like her as a platonic romantic friend is the way that, that you just essentially described it, Hannah. Like, it is the romance plot, but it's not trying to actually make their relationship romantic. It is about their platonic friendship, but it has the the beats of a romance plot are sort of moved on to this best friend relationship rather than a can we date relationship. And that was fine and neat. And especially given that they are different people who are differently awkward as teenagers, fine, but she's in the second movie because she's in the first movie and they needed some continuity. And I'm like, I was just annoyed by her more than anything else. And it's not the actress's fault. It's the film's fault. Like I felt like she was regressed to the, hey, let me be there to point at stuff and say, oh, you know, maybe you, are you trying to get Chris Pine and Anne Hathaway together? Are you not? I'm not sure. She seemed to be, like, she'd have a scene where she'd go, hey, you know, you're getting married tomorrow. Might as well go have your fun now. You'd rather do that than the stuffy bachelor party, right? And then they have the nerve to be shocked when she almost cheat. I'm like, it's like, you just sent her out there for that reason. You helped I mean, her climb up fair, the window.
2: I do you think what? Lily is super shocked about it. I think she but I know but
0: it's the it's the you know it's the indecision of the movie is where I'm getting at, and I think, I think it minimizes that
2: I think I agree with you in the sense that I feel like she doesn't really have a plot line of her own like she did in the right. first movie, like she she's more of a supportive like expositioning character who moves people around although that is technically part of her agency as a character if you mm-hmm. want to be generous i do the fact that they're if we're talking about maturity i think their relationship has matured in the sense that they like lily is supportive of mia from the beginning of, the, of this film in a way that she mm-hmm. was not in the first film so like that idea is nice Sure. Like, that idea is this. I'm not saying it's well executed. That idea is this. I think that, like, perhaps it's a weakness of the things I've seen Chandra Rhymes write. And, you know, I love romance too. So I'm not saying, like, it's a bad genre. I do feel like Lily getting, like, a romantic plot line of her own and that being kind of, like, the thing that, like, Lily gets. And it's, like, very minor compared to, like, two major romances.
0: Oh, like town crier guy or like, yes. a, I guess he's a um, I guess he's a security guy. I'm not even sure what he's supposed to be. She likes
1: we're going to we're going to call him a town crier guy because that's her funny. Brother, to me. Right. Like they have the same haircut and I can't be the only one that noticed that.
0: <laughs> 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 do, do they? I didn't, I, that I didn't notice.
1: They have the same like I am a Beatles bowl cut her brother in the first movie and her love interest in the second movie have the same uh, exact aesthetic huh
0: i didn't see that okay
1: am i really the only one who noticed that yeah yes <laughs> wait okay, i don't know what that says about me and we are not gonna dissect it moving on
4: Lily <laughs> has one one good line in second and it's toward the end of the wedding scene where she looks into the camera and says this I'm a girl who loves black and I'm wearing pink and it's a great little comic moment in the wedding if
0: there had been more of that I think I would have loved her more because even if it's just self-awareness out of nowhere like it, it felt like a lot of she was just there for support and I just wanted more for her because I thought she was a highlight of the first film and that that is a shining moment for her and it's literally in the you know next to last scene it's <laughs> you know like it's the wedding scene which is at the very end of the film so i don't know i was weirded out by it i want it more
1: just you guys going to make me talk about the costumes about <laughs> the thing i
2: mean
0: you can
1: i mean if you want to I don't. we're going to make you <laughs> <laughs> so we can move on but the costumes in the first movie are great costumes in mm-hmm. the second movie say They wanted a sequel, but they only gave us half the money. I just, nothing fit properly on anyone. All of the fabrics look. So cheap. All of the little waitstaff and their little purple outfits that look like they came immediately from a rental house. It just hurt. Everything hurt. And I can't help it. Like, (laughs) it's just 10 years of bias in which I cannot watch a movie without judging it based on what everyone is wearing. And it made me Mm. want to stab my little eyeballs out the whole time. Just even
0: Julie Andrews.
1: Julie Andrews and all of her weird rhinestone sparkles that just don't look expensive <laughs> and don't make her look like a queen which again probably tracks with the tattooed eyebrows that she does not have like So <laughs> it just wasn't working for me
4: I, Josh, gonna- so hannah and i were watching the, the movies last night and hannah just leans over to me and one says julie andrews has tattooed on eyebrows i did
1: not say I she's said the this queen. <laughs>
4: queen well, i misunderstood it as julie andrews has tattooed eyebrows and i spent an, an, an inordinate amount of time during like, the four hours we watch these movies trying to figure out if she did in fact have tattooed eyebrows and that was my Mm-hmm. one of the movie <laughs> <laughs> it's character in the books. That's- she was trying to tell me. Yes, if you've been paying
2: attention the whole time, I was talking about the queen yeah. in the books.
4: Now, Sherman was critique about the costumes. Now that she mentions it, it's very clear, like, in the second movie, the staff costumes are not at the same level as the first movie. It just
1: really felt like they I, phoned in so many things of, like, they reused every joke from the first movie in the first yeah. ten minutes Which of the I movie out. to be like, remember you like this. In well, order they to then use them. it as point out a, she's she's an got, excuse yeah. for us to follow along she got for another clumsy. night
0: minutes. That was the part that bothered me. She She's 16 at the very end of the second. So, so she's turning 21 here. So after five years of being a princess and living as a princess, she somehow got clumsier. There were a couple of jokes where she's not super coordinated. She's, you know, she's not but she's not horrible because she says I'm not athletic, but then she goes rock climbing in the first movie. So she's just she's not good at baseball. She's not good at soccer, but she's not an absolute. But she's in not good at hand-eye coordination. Coordination, right. I mean, and she's only very specific in the second because movie. rock climbing takes that. It, it, but yeah, like in the second movie two, she's yeah. put, she's tripping over stuff left and right she's dropping things like that it just becomes it goes from being a minor character quirk to a defining one And then- to, her,
2: to her not everything mm-hmm. is her fault her horse gets spooked by oh. the villain this you know turret of John Reese Davis so like, it's
4: her first time riding side saddle, and Give her a break. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm talking about
0: her. I'm talking about her I'm tripping sure. and her throwing things on accident and having the. Yeah. She has a guy who walks behind her and just catches stuff that she's knocked over. That's a character trait, and I'm like, that's yeah,
2: that's what you get, tra- princess. Climbing yeah. mean, down the yeah, trellis. Honestly, someone else could have died doing that. She did fine.
0: She's an expert rock like, climber. She shouldn't be. Able, she shouldn't fall climbing down a trellis. I mean, she <laughs> like,
2: gets caught <laughs> in a vine. You know, expert
0: like, rock climber. You
2: know? <laughs> she's <laughs> not an expert rock climber i mean we don't know how long it's been since she rock climbed she might have given it up in the five years that like yes. between these movies i and she also doesn't have a harness on so mm. or any safety gear i guess i mean Didn't like that <laughs> i mean the great the greatest addition in this movie besides chris pine was the addition of maurice the poodle so double the cute animal fun
0: I'm, okay i like the poodle i like chris pine <laughs> I,
2: <laughs> you don't like chris I, pine I,
0: Oh, I do. Chris Pine. I did. uh, And okay. So, and I don't even think it's just an unfair expectation. I wanted to watch this movie because Hannah pitched it as the thing we do for the show. And, oh, Chris Pine's in it. I was like, oh, that's neat. I would love to see Chris Pine and Anne Hathaway kiss. That looks like it might be a fun time. Sure. For me, they had what I would call Natalie Portman, Chris Hemsworth chemistry. These are two very pretty people, both of whom I personally would love to kiss. But when I see them together, I was just like, what? why Why is this happening? What do you like about each other? I did not feel any chemistry whatsoever between them in this film. And I was just like, this is you're a couple? Really? Why? Other than I guess you're both pretty. And they actually are both very pretty. <laughs> Chris Pine is a very attractive man. Anne Hathaway is a very, very attractive woman. I did not love them together in this at all. And I was not rooting for them. And I get that he's not really a bad guy he's just positioned in the bad guy role but i was just like i don't care i mean you're yeah you're a little jerky but not the worst and i have no reason to be rooting for you to end up together at the end i don't know that they do i kind of like that they don't get married they're just like okay we're gonna try dating and i'm fine with that i'm fine just i'm fine with things didn't work out with the oh i'm going to date lily's brother i'm fine with that too but it's like uh we're in love now i'm like are you i don't know (laughs) and didn't buy that relationship in this at all.
2: Well, you can't ask me to judge this fairly since I have bought this relationship since two thousand four. So yeah,
0: well, you were, yeah, and I get it. I didn't grow up with this movie. To be fair, I mean, I watched this for the first time yesterday, and it didn't work for me. Hannah's loved this since you were, you know, young. You, I mean, you were the target audience, I guess. You know, I, though we you know, we quibbled about whether it's maybe supposed to be for some people younger, but like you were at least yeah. in the presumptive target audience.
2: I mean, my parents liked it too. Like when they went and saw it, like my like I said, the whole theater was laughing. I think that. But to be fair, mm-hmm. like there is something about being in a theater or in a room. Oh, absolutely, I watch this on watch my couch. Alone. Like, yeah, you know, like there's a reason why the room to
0: talk mm-hmm.
2: about an actual like the worst movie ever made, perhaps, <clears throat> is a good time when you're with friends. But you know, there there is so there there is something to be said about that. But this actually might be. The movie besides maybe the force awakens and i don't even know if the force awakens or avengers endgame which josh and i both saw with full audience of target fans on opening day my experience with my sister and my parents with the princess diary 2 with that audience that might be the like best theater reaction i've ever seen to anything and that like it showed me what movie magic could be with the right (laughs) audience for pretty much any film. And I've been to a lot of midnight premieres when those were like, you know, a special thing and we didn't start showing movies at six o'clock with people who (laughs) dressed up. I dressed up to some movies, dressed up to see Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal. in fact, but nothing. (laughs) Topped The Princess Diaries too. Anyway,
1: I mean... I would love to dive into that a little bit more and think about why it is because I intend to agree like I saw Avengers Endgame in New York City inside an AMC went by myself because it was like the only ticket I could get in the morning for 10am showing the theater was packed everyone was (laughs) cheering it was a good time however Mm -hmm. it was not as good a time as when my mom and I went and saw the Downton Abbey movie and a bunch of people over the age of 60 showed up in costume Ooh. at an what? art house movie theater mm-hmm. that was for me the best movie going experience and the Doubt Abbey movie is not a good movie like we can all agree mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Julian yes. Fellows yes. is just trying to like stuff our heart with you know warm fuzzy feelings devoid of plot. In mm-hmm. which he gives everyone That's a happy ending. really interesting. Because Anna, the yeah, Downton Abbey uh, movie, <laughs> it, well, you know, because he wants to avoid like questions of like classism or racism or imperialism or any of those other problematic isms in order to be like, just look at the glamorous house and all the servants that are so happy to be servants. <laughs> the
2: Downton Abbey movie is the greatest comedy I've ever seen.
4: Irish <laughs> Republican character saves the monarchy
1: yes. twice. <laughs> in which we don't think about any problems we just try and think about where you are happy and everyone is glamorous because it is the gilded age and everyone has money just remember that everyone has money and it solves all of your problems but still it was <laughs> think there's something very interesting <laughs> about the fact that our like happy positive experiences one are like really meant to be this one pro monarchist which we should dive into But two this idea that it's not like, those big movies have a bunch of conflict. It's the ones that are, like, giving you these sappy little love stories that honestly are also, like, pretty gendered in terms of being more feminized versions of media or mm-hmm. also the fact that these are aimed at either incredibly older or incredibly younger audiences, right? Yes. There's some there's something mm-hmm. about the older you get, the more childlike you become. And therefore, you know, can't there's something very ageist about the fact that like media for older people is also supposed to give you the same feelings that princess movies for five-year-old girls want to give you. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily know that I've come to any sort of like salient point about Any of these comparisons, but it is something that I want to dive into in terms of like this being our ideas of what is a better like fan culture theater watching. Experience and why it has to come with like fuzzy saccharine feelings instead of going to a horror movie or an Avengers movie, right?
0: Well, wait, why, you're saying it oh, well. when you wait. I don't know that I think that it does have to. I don't. I'm not sure which. I mean, I know you're not saying it does, but I'm saying does yeah, I suppose think?
1: it's more that critics want to dismiss these movies as not being. It, it, people were really down to say that Avengers Endgame was a good movie, right? Avengers Endgame does not come through the 26 percent on Rotten Tomatoes the way that. Avengers Not Endgame does it but I would Princess Diaries 2 does
0: well, and look, that's what that's why I push okay, back. There I think are Avengers worse Marvel is,
1: movies, the Princess Diaries too. There are some
0: Marvel uh,
2: movies that are, well, are I'm going to, of no. I'm going to say there
1: are.
0: I'm going to say
1: more. Right, that's
2: exactly yeah. what I was
0: going to say. I, I was going to say <laughs> there are a, there are a couple Marvel movies that I hated. There are a couple Marvel movies who are, that I hated that I think are worse. And I thought that they were given. So, oh, and I was specifically going to say Multiverse of Madness. I thought Multiverse of Madness was given a much bigger pass than it should have been. No. I agree Princess Diaries 2 shouldn't be 26% easily a 40% movie but I it is a far better movie than Multiverse of Madness was Multiverse of Madness was garbage I think that there is a pass given to them because they make a lot of money more than anything else in a way that like I, like, I think it's giving a pass to the Marvelness of it specifically the Marvelness of it as opposed to the genderness of it because the genre of it because compare this to the worst of the DC films, yeah. like, uh, Justice League or I think those are in that same genre and they're just garbage and the critics are not afraid to say this is just garbage Snyder Bros be damned and that's that's kind of where I'm like pushing back a little bit. Now I mean I, I think there's something to what you're saying in that Multiverse of Madness I think was just given a pass in a way that I don't know Eternals wasn't. Eternals was a much better movie than Multiverse of Madness even though the, the money and the and again better is this is me talking as a critic now, right? I, I enjoyed Eternals far more than I enjoyed Multiverse of Madness. So no, it's hard. It's a hard statement because I'm also wondering about other things like Downton Abbey, I think, is, you know, acclaimed.
2: It, people like d- love Downton Abbey. It yeah. Reviews, well, yeah. It doesn't make as much money, but it's much but higher.
0: People, yeah, but people but, love the Downton Abbey movies. The critics do. The
2: manga is right that like they, there is gendered and ageist talk about Downton yes, Abbey. And I also like want to get to back to Monica's point about like romance and like how that and like like this like fluffiness and how that plays into things and that's why I think Josh and I might argue that this is the more political movie and it's not despite the romance it's because of the romance because and I'm just leaning into my 19th century studies self here like pretty loads of 19th century scholars would tell you romance is political I've made this Absolutely. argument too many okay. times on this podcast some of you might think but like this. Film does engage with politics. Some of it might be a little bit by accident, but I technically, you could make an argument that this film argues for an independent Puerto Rico. It like, <laughs> <laughs> does?
3: does. 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 I does.
2: thought we would get does. Just, Yeah, I oh, like it. He if,
0: says I have a diplomatic community in forty seven countries, community? including Puerto Rico. Yeah. yeah. This
2: is a unit which Puerto Rico is independent in its own country, one could say. I don't know that oh, it
0: is. I look at the universe where their country does not recognize United States sovereignty over Puerto Rico.
3: Yeah. So
4: if, if you're not familiar with the movie, Joke is actor Hector Elizondo Puerto is Puerto Rico. He's playing the character who says that line and he is of mm-hmm. Puerto Rican descent. So he's right. He also appears in like, all of the directors' films. Gary Marshall so, so it's yeah, it's an in in
2: this movie but but also josh would you like to talk about machiavelli you've been waiting this (laughs) whole time very politely
4: oh yeah cue cue it set it up
2: all right so one of the actors we have not really talked about that is new to the cast in is John Reese Davis who you might know from Indiana Jones The Lord of the Rings and he plays the villain who is Nicholas Chris Pine's uncle and he is scheming with Nicholas who really like Nicholas is a good-hearted person who really just cares about Genovia and like his dead h- father's wishes and that's why he's willing to go along with his uncle's plan and doesn't know about his uncle being sneaky and like almost ki- killing Mia when she's thrown off a horse but it's you know a Disney movie so there's no real threat of death so unless you- you're, so have unless this you're theme. a
0: mom, if you're a parent <laughs> parents die uh, in Disney it, movies. That's right.
2: <laughs> yeah, true. Well, unless it's the Princess Diaries two, where there's no mm-hmm. threat of death. So so there's the scene where Nicholas and his uncle are talking and Josh.
4: Oh, so there's a very funny scene. This is one of the reasons I love this movie is that there's a bunch of character actors like cheering scenery, but has a bit where he talks about Chris Pine's character. You're named after Niccolo Machiavelli and therefore you must be like Machiavelli and it is better to be feared than love and you you have to take control of the country and use all these like deceptive strategies like throwing a rubber snake in front of a horse <laughs> Or, to a or, cheating or cheating at darts or cheating at darts we're doing They're all like these Earth different things because
0: they really not get a real snake. <laughs> these, all so these much.
4: various underhanded stratagems to, to you know usurp the kingdom, and it, it's a you know it's a there's literally a portrait of Machiavelli on the whatever reason. And the movie doesn't do very much with this other than like mm-hmm. snake throwing, snake throwing gag.
2: Well, well, also like originally Nicholas expresses interest in Mia because his uncle's.
4: Yeah, but it, it's like this, they bring in they the, the, the writers deliberately bring in Machiavelli, the political angle to it. It's underwritten. But
2: but we might argue that Nicholas comes around to thinking against Machiavelli. Yeah.
4: And I have a particular interest in Machiavelli and the grad, and people know the quote, you know, it's better to be feared than love, which supposedly comes from Machiavelli's The Prince. And that's not actually what Machiavelli says. It's a misreading, but... I just think the movie kind of sets up this paradigm of Mia is this kind of interesting but beloved character. She's really trying to affection the of the people. That's kind of the whole goal of the movie. Chris Pine is maybe trying to do this weird Machiavellian approach to, to you know, steal the throne. And I just think it's interesting because the, the movie brings this up. And Machiavelli actually says in The Prince that in chapter 17, he has this whole chapter on like cruelty versus mercy and whether it is to be feared than... Whether it is to be loved or feared. Whether it is better to be loved or feared. He has these delightful chapter headings. And he has a chapter where he talks about, you know, it's not whether it's going to be feared and love, it's, he's writing in the context of a new prince who has taken over a principality trying to kind of win over the people. So this would be the concept of Genovia, right? Because
2: the queen is going higher, and either Mia or Nicholas or the Von Troken family who are minor characters in both movies who no one seems to like would take over the throne.
4: Um, and and there's the, um, the movie As we talk about the books or maybe like a satire of Machiavelli. There's this whole kind of pop culture idea that Machiavelli is the prince is a kind of satire of monarchy but that's kind of been debunked by scholars but in, in his work talks about you know whether it's better to be feared than love what he actually says is you need to win people in some way it, it's better it, the prince must make himself feared in such a way that he's not gain love but he doesn't he avoids hatred it's basically kind of like being respected and he's talking about people have misread this as you but it's better to be feared than love but what he actually is saying it's better to try to win over the people in some way and if you have to choose between the two fear is fear or respect is better and Mia seems to be trying to embody this like she trusts of the people she has seen where she wins over the she has the parade and she wins over the orphans. There's this, the movie is really obsessed with trotting out what like, the fable of. Like young Disney actors, like the Breslins, the Spencer and Zombie Abigail Breslin. Yeah,
2: she went from like this to Zombie Land a few years um, later,
4: and so that, that's what that is, which is one of my critiques of the movie. It spends way too much time with these secondary, tertiary characters that are a little relevant. But you know, that she yeah. Mia does all these acts where she like wins over the people, and Nicholas kind of even comes around to this. They all begin to respect her, and just
2: to, to some degree, wouldn't you say that she does kind of instill fear in them at the end? Whenever like you're in Parliament, because
4: she stares them down, down. but not too hard. And in the way the end of it. It. Clearly, the Arthur writers read some Machiavelli,
2: or at least are familiar. If you're with the familiar scripts.
4: enough with the trope, yeah, and mm-hmm. are incorporating this in, into the script in a weird way. Well, it, I don't know if it's effective or not, but it, it's you know they bring it up, and I just think it's a fascinating talk. It's one of the reasons I love them is because it does try to engage with some kind of high level philosophy, and yeah, you know, it's just a kind of a fun little bit. And I do wish they kind of had some sort of scene toward the end where John Rhys Davis gets his and You know, as the evil count, and
2: okay, but would you rather that? or would you rather watching Chris Pine ride an old antique bicycle down the road?
4: That would be my favorite scene of the movie. Really? Mm-hmm.
2: We have our enjoyment math. It's fine. You can ride,
0: no, you you can ride, ride the
4: up. bicycle but if we have no bicycle we have your grandfather's bicycle he used some somewhat classical oh. music and like a penny farthing I, going down the road. I thought
0: that was funny. My problem with it was he got off of it as soon as he possibly could is like, oh there's a horse I'll trade up. I Just ride the bicycle the entire <laughs> way. Commit to the bit. That was my problem with it. I, like <laughs> I, I, I read no. it my no,
2: I enjoyed getting to know the random Kenobian who is so obsessed with the royals and like the lords that he knew that Lord Nicholas was on the bicycle narrating to a friend. From
4: afar, is Lord Nicholas, he approaches yes. we'll give him my I horse. Just,
0: yeah, I didn't want him to get the horse. I wanted him to commit to the bit and ride the bicycle the entire time. That's, well,
2: <laughs> I, which is well, we no good reason. Our own little bit. <laughs> I just I, I wanted more about culture, so the questions. I there, people get chickens for their tables. I just, yes, Kitty.
0: The pear is apparently a very important. Oh, also,
2: what greatly amused me is that Gertrude the housekeeper was stuffing pear popcorn in mm-hmm. the chair when she was watching the Viscount get thrown out of the wedding on TV. Just very, very like, there are little things in that are very amusing. Also, yes. speaking of love, I do appreciate in both movies that Julie Andrews gets her own romantic plot line because like this, I mean this is like before you know 80 for Brady and like the book club movies and don't oh, like, get mm-hmm.
4: me smarter 80 for Brady and, and, ju- and I
2: look no <laughs> we will not so oh. we did watch the trailer and you know movies like the movie Dev Patel oh.
4: Good, imperialism.
2: No imperialism. Old people. Oh, yeah, with Judy dent.
4: Oh, the, the uh, yeah. grand exotic marigold hotel. Oh, yeah, so so- best <laughs> exotic marigold hotel. Yeah. Yes. So like
2: there there are there are, there are there are loads of movies now that are are at least like in like the zeitgeist where like it's like people over fifty find love. And admittedly, I, it was you know like two thousand and four so like I'm sure there were some and I just didn't know because like Mm -hmm. I was a kid and I wasn't the demographic
1: but it was nice the movie that was like there's like On Golden Pond and calendar girls like you you don't get a lot of options for some version of because you're right when we get back to our ageism and Doubt Nabby, it's like old people don't fuck anymore and that's not fair that's not nice
0: I mean there I mean Cocoon has a is a is weird and that like are they older are they not there it's a thing and I think Hannah nailed it in that you know are you looking for those movies when you're 10 you know so uh, I think there's that issue but there there are more of them now James so, going to make this happen. Yeah, so like 2004, you know, yeah, so like so, 2004,
2: uh, you know it, it also, I think, was nice for, in a target demographic for these is kids, perhaps 30-year-olds who work kids, teenagers when these originally came out. It's it was nice to be like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess your life doesn't end after you're in your twenties. Because mm-hmm. especially like in the place culture I grew up, everyone was if you don't get married, like yeah. right near like right after you graduate from college. Like how will you ever find someone? Like what you know, your life, what will it be? Will you be all alone and will your eggs rot? And you know, things have changed since then to some degree, mm-hmm. but like people still hear this stuff. So again is like simple <laughs> as this message was, and like as you know, mixed. I would say this is like no. great feminist movie of my life i think it can be meaningful we never know what like becomes meaningful to us like mm-hmm. i i i keep talking about the nanny when i was like in the single digits and how that right. made me pro-labor before i knew what pro-labor was so you know you never know like what people are like picking up on when they're watching this and if the, and if the positive thing is hey maybe you shouldn't just marry someone because they tell you to so want people to
0: let us know in the, oh,
2: probably me needed to hear that go ahead i
0: just want people to let us know in the comments if you want us to do a show on old people movies where old people find because I because there is just I mean I think it is fascinating because I think people probably have this understanding that and I am not saying Hollywood's not ageist. Hollywood is hella ageist and there are certainly fewer roles for older people, particularly older women, but but it is not the case that like 80 for Brady is just inventing this because so grumpy old yeah, men oh yeah. is a movie from nineteen ninety three. Like it this goes back and like and it's always been a thing to where people have been where they're where we keep doing these roles where we'll have love stories for former big name actors who are now doing these films in their Twilight years and people have always sort of pushed back on them as oh wow we're making movies with Sophia Loren still you know or something like that or you know Lena horn still making movies and it was like yeah Lena Horne kept making movies so so I think that there's things are they're out there and we should probably do an episode on it um you, I an an
1: episode it. on old people do wonder too an- Episode on
0: old people fuck movies because you know different old people people fuck movies yeah yeah no yeah Yeah. I mean I I definitely mean old people old people fuck movies old people romance movies like it it is a thing so uh, not a movie. But the at this time period, it was always, oh, my God, Golden Girls is a movie. How I mean, as a TV show, how innovative and it's because, oh, my God, they're having they're having old ladies have sex. And it's not really. And by the way, they're the same age in those. And they're the same age in that TV show as the women in the Sex and the City reboot are now like that. They're not ancient. You know, we look back at them like they were ancient, but they were, you know, 50 something. (laughs) They were like 50s and 60s. And I think it was I think it's I do think that's an interesting topic. I agree with you that I think that the Queen and Joe's relationship in... Both of the films together is a highlight. I do think that there's a weirdness to the plot of the second movie in that Julie Andrews sorry, Julie Andrews. She's always Julie Andrews but the queen, Queen Clarice could just, you know, stop the entire drama of the movie by just not abdicating.
2: Uh, <laughs> I don't can... think so. I don't think so because I, well, I thought about this actually as I was watching it and mm-hmm. I think the issue is that like they... She's not royal by blood. Because, right? oh, I, know, no, I know that. That's not what I missed. I think that the issue is like the line of succession. Mm -hmm. So now that Nicholas has turned 21 and has appeared and like the Viscounts petitioning for Nicholas to be placed in the line of succession over Mia. The issue is that they're both 21 and he is eligible under the law to to take over the throne right at that second. Mm -hmm. And Mia is 21, but she's unmarried. So like she's not qualified and parliament will disqualify her if she doesn't get married within 30 days. So technically, Mm -hmm. yeah, Julie Andrews could put it off. But I think that even if she put off like her stepping advocate, if if Julie Andrews put off advocating, it wouldn't matter. It would just delay Nicholas no, taking over. No, no,
0: that that was my issue. The, that yeah, it, like Julie Andrews cannot or <laughs> Queen Queen Clarice cannot take Nicholas out of the equation. I get that, right? She can't take Nicholas out of the equation and make the problem go away. But their entire thing is she is not going to step down until Princess Mia is ready to become queen. So it's certainly not a like they like that was part of the plan. This is a it's a problem that the movie introduces for itself, right? There are certainly is some level of okay i can keep the throne warm until Mia's is ready to take over that presumably she could also keep the throne warm until nicholas was ready to take over either way but it, the artificialness of and we've got to solve this problem in 30 days seems weird <laughs> like,
1: well, it, I think it's, it's, I think it's no, more like the, the sexism yeah. though that there yeah. is yeah. the assumption that he is automatically ready to take over because yes. he is 21 mm-hmm. and a boy versus the idea mm-hmm. that she is 21 and has okay. not also are we going to talk about the fact that like right. she's in, they're basically like oh welcome back to Genovia but then she's like, oh I'm going to go explore the castle so I'm like have you not been to your country before
3: even no, though she, the end of the yeah, first yeah, movie yeah, is a,
1: her is is a, going to her
3: country he
2: Okay. Yeah. Okay, but also the castle in the first movie is different than the castle in the second it's movie. And my castle. theory is that the castle in the first movie is the Winter Castle.
4: <laughs> there you know, are a lot is, of rooms. to very explore. They've remodeled her suite. Yeah,
0: it's very disturbing to see that when you when you literally finish the first movie with them flying into Genovia, and then you start the second movie with them flying into Genovia. Literally thirty seconds in time. There's thirty seconds in time for okay. me watching those two shots, mm-hmm. and it's like those are not the same place. It's <laughs> not a plot
2: hole. Funny. The second movie establishes there are two castles. I think yes, that's why like, uh, you were staying in the winter castle. There we are. Sure, plot problem. sure. All your plot problems are solved, Mav. Nah, I've solved them all.
4: And apparently one of the know. castles is used as a residence for the members of Parliament as a perk. Yes. But
0: it's going so, to be an orphanage. <laughs> no. I do have one more issue before we resolve nothing today. It's not even an issue. It's more of a question for the room. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm wondering. Do we think that Anne Hathaway enjoyed making the second film? And here you do that she is.
2: And I don't. <laughs> no hesitation no, whatsoever out of half. And she, I'm going to pull up a quote to back this okay. up. Continue on. Just okay. continue. I'm not, Just saying, I'm not
0: saying she had a bad time or anything. I actually think she seems to be having fun while she's on screen. What I'm wondering is I think Anne Hathaway never wanted to be a child star. Now we treat her like she no. was this great child no. star, but she's not because she only becomes famous or she gets her first big. Break in this TV show, which nobody has seen except for me because I loved it. A TV show called Get Real, where she plays the character of Megan. She's in for two seasons in '99, and she's like a 16 year old girl on that. And her next movie is Princess Diaries. And so, actually,
2: her her next film released was Princess Diaries, but the other film she liked that was supposed to release that Disney delayed was The Other Side of Heaven, which is, is, I'm not going to go there.
0: But but my point being, she's in these, she goes from a nighttime drama i uh smarter than a CW show. It, uh, get Real was very much a, a cross between a Fox era 90210 show and a, like a, a Picket Fences or a, or a Friday Night Lights. It was going for that vibe, like a Friday Night Lights vibe. I have so the answer
2: to all of your questions I think, Mav, in mm-hmm. this quote from Anne Hathaway. Okay. Mm-hmm. In ter- and this is from 2004, so mm-hmm. mm-hmm. is Diaries two time. In terms of the princess role, there's only so long that you play those as a young lady before you start feeling really ridiculous. They are so much yes. fun to do. I figure I might as well get the most out of them while I can. I don't go off and now, remember everyone what she won the Oscar for, she said this in 2004. Then I'll go off and play all the drug addicts and the prostitutes and all the good things she won Oscars for a little later on. So she absolutely had fun playing these princess roles. Like no, she was a no, huge no, fan no. of Ellen Shannon, yes. like she she mm-hmm. really likes, like she, you know, she's talked about like Princess Diaries yes. 3. She still couldn't talk about it. She didn't have, you can tell that everyone in the she, film yeah.
0: is but having fun. My, you just addressed it because I, I was wondering yes. because she goes from Get Real, which again, Friday Night Lights vibe for anybody who hasn't. Get real, and I don't expect you have. And then she goes into making Princess Diaries and Ella Enchanted and Princess Diaries two. And then the very next. Film that she does is *Havoc*, which I've seen. *Havoc* yeah. is a yeah. druggy indie film about it. it's very much a you know she's no longer an innocent kind of movie. And then she does that. She does *Brokeback Mountain*. She does *Devil, Devil Wears, Wears Prada. Prada*. She she does *Becoming Jane*. Get smart comedy, but again, it's still very much a grown up movie. *Rachel Getting Married*. *Passengers* is in there. *Love and Other Drugs*, a movie which I adore and nobody else saw. But she goes on to and she goes from making these princess diaries movies to making that one. adult movies and just trying to like just she goes from a fun role where she looks like she's having fun to chasing an Oscar like literally the very next movie it's like I, okay we're done being a kid let's start chasing Oscar roles and I and you know she's like just working her way towards lame is you know <laughs> that's what she's doing I thought that I find that really interesting about like her career trajectory after this film because this is the last kid role and now she's obviously she's 40 now so she's not going to be making like maybe she'll make a princess diaries three, but it will have to be more grown up because you know, she's 40 now. So,
1: Good, right because I was just curious. about mm-hmm. how like mm-hmm. not grown up this the second one felt so it would honestly be mm-hmm. kind of nice to be able to watch whatever the adult version of princess diaries three I mean, is, is yeah.
0: yeah queen diaries it's
1: true you can't call them princess diaries <laughs> anymore
0: old enough you could fuck with the timeline a little bit does it they do between the first like the movies are, two, are three years apart real time but they're five years apart in movie time, in movie time. it makes sense so you could, of how yeah. Old you could. She was, yeah, yeah. She was playing a. She was playing a much younger. Well, not much younger. She was playing a few years younger as a character. She was like nineteen when she films it, eighteen or nineteen, and she's playing yeah. a fifteen-year-old. So she's playing a twenty-one-year-old in the second one. So you know, she's forty in real life. If she were to make this at forty, at forty-five, you could have her be a forty-year-old woman with uh you know, a sixteen-year-old daughter who's trying to, you know. Oh, you're you've got, you know, trying to put her through the I know what it was like when I, you know, I had to start taking on princess duties, but her daughter would have to would be like more. You could do something interesting, I suppose, like if you wanted to keep the princess diaries concept or you could just go to queen diaries. Either way,
2: I mean the in the films because like, you know the books like are actually Mia's diary, like her diary entries. But in you know, the movie, like the reason why they're called diaries is because the books are called the Princess Diaries. The diary aspect is like paper thin. It's like she gets a diary from her father in the first movie. In the second movie, she like writes scene. in the diary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the yeah.
0: first movie, she gets the very end. <laughs>
2: I mean, it, to be fair, it's like the emotional turning point of the movie. Also, can I just say we, we have not talked about how awesome the kitty is. Fat Louie is great. Like 10 out of 10, no notes on like...
4: The royal pussycat, Fat Louie. No, no <laughs> notes ain't. on
2: the Sir cat, fat. <laughs> fat Louie. Yes, Josh. Come on, you're supposed to be the expert in this film. And I will say, like, Matt, I do want to go back really dress. I won't defend the chemistry between Anne Hathaway and Chris Pine necessarily, because again, I couldn't be ejected, but I do appreciate the attempts of this film, even if it is is born between like 10 different ideas, all of which I find fascinating. Some because I enjoy the ridiculous and some because I think it's actually interesting. Um, as a 32 almost year old woman, still, I do appreciate that compared to the first film where like it was like, Michael, you see me because you're, because when I was like, you, you see me, you see who I am. So I will like you. Like they, Mia and Nicholas are kind of terrible to one another and they like mm-hmm. each other anyway. And they'd like bother to have a scene or two where like they get to know each other on a real level. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, like, they're
0: trying to do, salmon. Trying to do they, Sam and Diane chemistry. They're trying to do, yeah. they're just saying, you've seen a sitcom. This is how relationships work. You hate each other and then like, you kiss.
2: Oh well, no, it's not <laughs> even, I mean, it's that, but it's not even that. It's, it's like they, they like know each people and accept each other for who they are as much as one mm-hmm. can in, in a paper and ish kind of plot. And mm-hmm. I prefer that to like the sad Michael relationship mm-hmm. of the first film. So also like I, th- this movie is the reason why I saw Star Trek a few years later. So, no notes. Absolutely no notes from me. This is a 10 out of 10 movie. We had a good time in. And, you know, if we waited just one more year, I could have said I'm having a good time 20 years later, but almost. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, Josh, how many times have we watched this together? Because we both need to pick-me-up.
4: Many times. Many times. We
2: have not counted. More <laughs> times than Mamma Mia too. Ooh.
4: That's same. Oh, oh, we've seen the second movie more than the first movie.
2: We, yeah, we've seen the second <laughs> movie more than the first movie. Oh, Mia. Uh, uh, this. And ma- actually, maybe Mamma oh. Mia. Oh, by the way, I want to point out the final scene of Princess Diaries 2. This is very important, and this is why it matters so much. After all all the way making fun of, Curly hair and the use of it to uglify Anne Hathaway in the first movie. In the coronation scene, Mia goes back curly hair, but properly styled this time. Mm. Done. That's all. I'm, oh, and also Lindsay Lohan sings <laughs> the credit song, so that's
0: good. I was say, yeah. Exactly. So that was your full arc is the return of the curly hair. <laughs> yeah. And, and thus self acceptance. Okay. Fair enough.
1: I, I mean, mean, that's resolving nothing. That's kind of resolving something. <laughs> love your curly hair. Yeah. Third wave feminism yeah. is great. I mean, <laughs>
2: I mean, yeah. we could do a whole episode of me just going on about how curly hair is treated terribly in movies. For instance, <laughs> Revenge of the Sith, Natalie Portman, why are you brushing your curly hair? And like she barely is because we actually brush curly hair. Again, it go free. So this is important.
4: <laughs> <laughs> These are the great struggles facing our world today. <laughs>
2: like like people deserve to know how to take care of their hair and they deserve that's that yeah that's that's where i am that is what i've resolved
0: we've resolved that you should take care of your hair and that all hair should be respected is that what you're going for i mean i agree
2: agree with that like that i mean i like look this is a bigger conversation than just like, yes. Hannah struggles with hair but yeah there there are certain beauty standards that have been upheld and certain like standards of quote-unquote professionalism that been have uh, been upheld that you should push back against and like movies should also push back against because there are opportunities here and also Congress should you know pass that act so I, I,
0: I will say that um I, again I had seen the first princess Diaries once you know 20 years ago and uh, 24 years ago I guess and is it Right. 20, yeah. 2001. And I hadn't, that's not right. I 23. I can't do math. 22 years ago. I saw it when it came out or soon after, probably on TV cable. And in my head, I knew it was one of those movies where, Oh, the girl, you know, the girl takes off her glasses and lets down her ponytail and she's hot all of a sudden. And she was ugly before, in that she was the same Hollywood-looking actress, but with a ponytail and glasses. That's what I remembered it being. I had not remembered how much she takes off her glasses in this movie before the makeover. It's really just she, because and she doesn't really have a ponytail. It's really just is your hair curly or straight? And it is like there's barely a makeover in that first movie. They yeah. do give her some lipstick, and then they and they literally straighten her hair because I thought, like in my head, she was wearing the. Ret- Retainer and and the glasses more often, and nobody had ever seen. Like she really doesn't wear those glasses much. There's a lot of being, you know, playing soccer and stuff. And there's a lot of her not wearing glasses in the movie. To which, like, Does she really actually has braces
4: in the first movie. No, no, she, she has braces. a retainer. Yeah, okay. she has a retainer that she's she, she wears. Her she has braces, like, unless she wears them.
0: Right, yeah. she had braces. She would already had braces. She Anne Hathaway. I looked it up. Anne Hathaway used her real life retainer that she was no longer wearing by the time by the time time the movie came out, but she went and she got her retainer because it, you know, for the scene where they, where they, where she's wearing her retainer at night, they, she just went and got her actual retainer because it fits in her mouth. It was, you know, and that's what they, that's what they used for that scene. But I guess she, you know, stopped wearing it a couple years earlier and it really does really, The movie has an opportunity to really, and I'm not trying to put too much on this Disney film, but the movie has an opportunity to sort of push towards these beauty standards that Hannah's talking about, and it doesn't, and it doesn't have to, but it was weird to me because the difference of how she looked pre and post makeover even for a let down your ponytail movie is fairly weak <laughs> like yeah. they, they did not do enough to make her look and i mean i kind of appreciate that they didn't go to the ridiculous oh my god she's hideous she's got a ponytail other than the mean girls saying stuff like that but it, it's extremely minor the visual difference
2: and I- say yeah and i'll say that like obviously like conversations about hair and like yeah, and, 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 and all the things i brought go way beyond like this movie or me and, and you know have a lot of like intersections with, like, racism and even just what like how movies get made like i, I know that you know black women in particular have thought like actresses have talked about how there's someone not on set who can do their hair so this is like a real thing and i and this mm-hmm. is you know minor compared to some of the other stuff but it, it you know it contributes to a really harmful narrative bigger movies do contribute really harmful narrative and you know we have a there are a lot of movies that I think if we went back and looked at Josh and I rewatched Miss Congeniality like there are lots of issues there like, like you know lots of there's, and, you know, there's always not I don't actually think I think Princess Diaries like avoids this but like, you know there's a lot of jokes about diets like there's a I uh, remember rewatching the nanny. There's a lot of like cat phobia in the nanny. So that's a different conversation for another day. But, you know, as far as makeover movies go, what mm-hmm. if we got rid of them? What if we didn't do this though? I think
0: there's value in them. I think it's, good. and maybe let us know in the comments, should we do an episode on makeover movies? Because I think that there are interesting things to I mean, say there. As the fashion um, historian, not, right? Yeah.
1: Like I, I want to push back. Hey, I think if your makeover movie is perpetuating harmful stereotypes about the limited mm-hmm. definitions of what beauty or glamour yes. could be. Yes. However, I yeah, 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 let, me, let me clarify. Yeah. There is something incredibly powerful about a makeover in which someone right. is actually able to actualize <laughs> a positive representation of themselves for the first time or something that mm-hmm. feels closer to who they want to be. And so. Yeah, let me <laughs> clarify.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to say, like, things like the Prince Diaries, we shouldn't do. It's not about, like, hey, let's, like, teach you how to take care mm-hmm. of your hair. Let's it- change your natural hairstyle to. To be straight because that is the best princess hair to use the term yeah
1: but something like miss congeniality where the makeup scene or the makeover scene is like really intended to be comedic it's intended to be Mm -hmm. extreme as part of the joke and she talks about how uncomfortable, unhappy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. She is at the end of her makeover. So that's a scene in which like mm-hmm. a makeover works for me because it is overall serving mm. a narrative in which like she does not actually see herself as a better, more positive like person. She feels mm-hmm. fake and ridiculous at the end of it. And like, that's the point of that makeover, right? So there the movie, there are other yeah. movies where like, you go Sorry. through a makeover and the character has like a very positive reaction. the way that they look because Mm -hmm. it is closer to how they themselves have wanted to look and whether or not that conforms to ideal beauty standards or not that's a very individual decision in which there are some people who do feel better when they fit ideas of glamour because that is close to their identity. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it, it just becomes mm-hmm. about like how can we have nuanced conversations about our ideas of identity and beauty within societal ideas of identity and beauty. Mm-hmm. And the ways in which no, we can say, navigate yeah. our individuality within those larger societal constructs mm-hmm. that I think would be worthy of an episode is re- is really yeah. what I'm saying. But just that I don't yeah, want to dismiss the makeover
2: do I as
0: I agree because yeah. the one no I will say I, I will say Miss
2: Congeniality is mm-hmm. the reason why I'm mad about it is they they have it seems like I once again complain they, like they have to have like romance in certain films but like, they don't they underserve the romance much like Princess mm-hmm. Diaries one that love interest in Miss Congeniality does not pay attention to her till she gets her makeover and he's a dud
1: he's a full like, dud but you know you what oh he's a dud it's not what? a really a romance movie between her this is no need to own that I it, love it, it, Miss Congeniality this is one of my Top five I do too.
2: Favorite movies. <laughs> I do too. There's
1: so much more romance between Gracie Hart and Michael Kane Like they have so much more chemistry. Yeah.
2: And, her, like, like, coach. and it makes, and honestly, like in some ways, it, it's a rom- romance if we want to call it that. That makes sense between her and Eric because people do date a lot of duds, particularly like jerky, <laughs> Sorry, like misogynistic men. <laughs> Not you, Josh. Not you. <laughs> I, I feel no
3: offense taken. The
2: uh, problem I like the reason why I like that makeover really sticks with me. I like your reading of it, Monica. The part that makes the room go sticks with me is because of like the terrible men in the FBI who surround Gracie. And I know that's true to people she might probably work with. And I just, I, I don't like love the resolution of it, but maybe that's because it, you know, that that's sometimes what happens. People date duds and they like conform to the standards of the dud and therefore, yeah. So.
0: Yeah, we definitely need to do this episode because I, I yeah. would have brought up she's all that which i think is a much more complex movie than people think it is so let us know in the comments if you want to hear it but i don't know if it matters because i think we're definitely going to do it tell us what to do we resolve nothing or do tell us what to do because sometimes we have trouble coming up with topics but I think that's one that we should do So <laughs> anyway we've resolved nothing we've resolved, we've resolved that we've resolved that makeovers are complicated and we should talk more about Yes, that, I guess also, I
2: was going to say also we can talk about not another teen movie starring Chris Evans I was, which my mother I absolutely.
0: I absolutely will talk about not another teen movie which is a brilliant film not another which teen my mother movie thought is was, the-
2: yeah, she thought it was she's all that but it's not and I believe the rating is different by one so I got to watch a much more 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 crude movie than Mm
1: -hmm. otherwise thanks mom how about uh could we also throw in she's the man and also perhaps some things i hate about you and the very specific shakespeare genre of makeover movies
0: there is not only that i mean oh finally the episode on the air but I literally did a paper on this in grad school. There's a there's an overlap of the makeover movie with the virginity quest movie that is interesting. Yeah, I've got a I've got a whole list of I've done the research already. I'm I am we should absolutely do all of stuff. So anyway, coming soon on a v- podcast near you, I guess. Josh, thank you for joining us. <laughs> oh, well,
4: it's my absolute pleasure. I love, I unabashedly love Princess Diaries franchise. I'm waiting, hopefully, for the third one. They <laughs> keep <laughs> saying
2: it might happen, but it mm-hmm. never comes.
4: Josh, anything you want to plug? A couple of things. So, I briefly mentioned I was an attorney. My firm doesn't allow me to do any like political lobbying, so anything I say is in my personal capacity. But a couple of things. Most states around the country have some sort of you know, public nonprofit law firm that that, that provides civil legal services to low income citizens, I highly encourage anyone who's listening to donate to your local legal services corporation funded program. Um, the other big thing that's coming up in the legal world is the country's about to go through a, a bit of a food snap benefits or some people call it food stamps program reduction in benefits. Starting in March, the federal government is going to be ending some sort of a, some pandemic-related SNAP benefits, mm-hmm. emergency supplements, about ninety dollars a month that we're going to low-income citizens. So I, I highly encourage anyone listening to donate to your local food bank or other programs just to help out because that's going to be a it's going to greatly affect a lot of citizens around the country.
0: Absolutely, and Monica Murphy.
1: You know nothing to plug this week, but as always, if you want to chat more about show ideas or things that you heard. This episode, I don't know, makeovers, why we should do a Twilight episode, et cetera, et cetera. You can find me on Twitter or on Instagram. That's at Monica Marvelous. On Twitter, that is L O U X. And on Instagram, that is L O U S.
0: And Palindrome Hannah.
2: Donate to your local abortion because
1: I've read tweets
2: from many abortion funds around the country and it's only the beginning of February and some are just like being overwhelmed with people who need help that they've, that they're, you know, like way past like their expectations for what the monthly budget allows. So any bit helps. Abortion and reproductive health care rights are still under attack around the country and still face limitations. So every bit helps. You can, you know, work out, you know, like a small like monthly donation, if that's easier for you, or one-time thing with your local abortion clinic. They do great work.
4: And just to add to that, I'd also suggest looking for any local American Civil Liberties Union or ACLU chapters. You know, They also mm-hmm. take donations and do a lot of work in that area.
0: Very cool. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show, all those same places, at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com, where we post about whatever we're going to be talking about next week. We've got some interesting shows coming up. Hannah and I have both posted blogs recently that you should check out and you can leave oh, yeah, a I didn't do
3: that. <laughs>
0: Sorry. <laughs> you can leave us comments on this show or any other episode or suggest topics of your own that we can. And sometimes we pick guests from the blog. So if you enjoy the show and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else we get podcasts from. Or you get podcasts from. And do us a favor, leave us a five-star review. That really helps us out, especially if you leave us a five-star review, not just the rating, on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, that boosts the algorithm, makes us more popular, and makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd once again like to thank Josh for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.